January 15th, 1919 was a seemingly ordinary day until a catastrophic event unfolded in Boston's North End that would forever change the city's history. This event became known as the Great Molasses Flood, or as some dubbed it, the Boston Molassacre. <laughs> In 1914, the demand for molasses was at an all-time high. The thick brown syrup was much cheaper than granulated white sugar, and therefore it had been the most commonly used sweetener in American homes for many years. However, molasses, which was derived from cane sugar, could also be further refined to make rum or even further refined into something called industrial alcohol, which was used in the making of explosives and was therefore in high demand because of the war in Europe. The United States Industrial Alcohol Company produced and distilled molasses using a subsidiary called the Purity Distilling Company of Boston. And this is where the company stored millions of gallons of molasses in a large tank at 529 Commercial Street near Kearney Square. Purity Distilling Company was said to have constructed this large tank in haste. And the construction of this tank was overseen by Arthur P. Gell, who had no architectural or technical technical experience, and in fact, Mr. Gel was actually Purity Distilling's financial advisor. Have you guys ever had a job where they would ask you to do things that were kind of like outside of your scope? Well, that was this guy. So this tank is built and it's massive. It's 50 feet tall and 90 feet, and it was large enough to hold about 2.5 million gallons of molasses, making it one of the largest storage containers in the entire city. So while this tank was pretty much as big as a building, because it wasn't actually a building. It didn't have to adhere to any of the building codes of that day. And apparently this tank had a lot of issues from the very beginning. Not only did it make strange creaking and groaning sounds all the time, but to the delight of all the little children in the city, it also leaked molasses from the seams. So the company's like, well, that's not good. How tacky. I guess we have to do something about that. So they decided that in order to take care of this problem, they were just going to paint the tank brown so that you couldn't see the molasses that was seeping out. <laughs> la 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 la, nothing to see here. Of course, molasses has a really strong smell and clearly painting the tank brown wasn't really gonna fool anyone, but I guess it probably made it look better that you couldn't see the nasty brown liquid that was leaking all down the tank. And it sounds like nobody really cared. It said that when the little children of the city would go out to collect firewood for their families, they'd bring little cups and containers and fill them up and bring molasses home with them. But of course, sticking your head in the sand and ignoring problems doesn't make them go away. And on January 15th, 1919, around 1230 in the afternoon, loud machine gun fire type noises were heard throughout the city as the rivets popped off the tank and then a loud roar was heard as the tank burst open and sent a 25 foot high wave of molasses traveling at 35 miles an hour through the streets. The damage was catastrophic. The nearly 28 million pounds of molasses rushing into the Boston streets took out everything in its path. 
Buildings were swept off their foundations. Streets were inundated. People and animals were swept away. The elevated railroad trestle was hit by this wave of molasses and collapsed. And if you look at some of the photos from this event, it actually looks the same as like a lot of photos that you see of tornadoes when they rip through a town and they just level buildings. Some of the witnesses described the way the homes and buildings were completely demolished by saying that they crumbled like eggshells. A large transport truck was pushed into the Boston Harbor and the local firehouse was even pushed off of its foundation. In addition to the property damages, which is estimated to be about $100 million worth of damage if you put it in today's money, many people and even animals lost their lives. Several children were out collecting firewood and were swept away in the tide. I read the story of the account of one little child's father. He was actually standing up and looking out the window as his son was down below collecting firewood and he saw him being picked up and swept off by the molasses like that had to be so horrifying like just to watch that happen and there's nothing you can do about it. Some of the city workers were sitting outside eating lunch when the wave just came out of nowhere and completely drowned them. The aftermath was a scene of chaos and tragedy. Rescuers, including sailors from the USS Nantucket, worked tirelessly to save those trapped in the molasses. The wave itself was just the beginning. Firemen and police officers spent four days wading through waist-deep molasses to rescue people, and this molasses worked a lot like quicksand. So it just caused even more challenges as the night fell when temperatures started to drop. The molasses all over Boston's north end cooled and began to thicken, firmly trapping anyone that had not yet been rescued. You know, this was already a sticky mess, but now you have a really super hard sticky mess. If you guys have ever seen molasses that was warmed, so thin and fluid, but when you put that stuff in the, in the fridge, it's like glue and it is thick. It is super sticky. When all was said and done, the molasses flood claimed the lives of 21 people ranging from ages 10 to 78 and injuring 150 others. Several of the survivors told their stories to the newspaper and the Boston Globe told the story of a man who was sleeping in his home and woke up to find himself in several feet of molasses. That would be so confusing. Like, is this a dream? Like, I can't even imagine how confusing that had to be for that guy, but he was one of the lucky ones. The flood also trapped animals, as I mentioned earlier, and it resulted in the death of at least 25 horses. When they were first trying to clean everything up, the firemen were taking their hoses and just trying to get rid of it, but their water from their hoses really wasn't doing anything. It was just too sticky. But they did eventually realize that if they could use salt water, it was more effective at like cutting through the molasses than just just regular fresh waters. So they ended up getting one of their fire boats and they were able to pump pressurized seawater all over the streets and everything in order to cut through the hardened molasses, which of course the water then just ran back into the harbor and it turned the water brown for weeks. They also used sand to help absorb any excess water that was on the streets. And then at the end, when they still had some like hardened bits of molasses everywhere, they had to pull out the chisels and saws and brooms and all of that to clean it up. So this was super extensive. The cleanup of that immediate area took weeks with several hundred people contributing to the effort. And it took even longer to clean up the rest of the greater Boston area, all the suburbs area, because they were saying that all the rescue workers who were coming in and out, the cleanup crews, even had sightseers that were just coming to like 
see what was up, you know, curious onlookers. So all of those people, when they would then leave that area, they would track the molasses all through the streets. They spread it to the subway platforms, the seats they were sitting on, streetcars, anybody using like a payphone or something, they got it all over that. They brought it into their homes and just countless other places. I mean, you guys can just imagine if you have hundreds of people touching things and then going and touch, you can just think of all the things that you touch in a day, right? So basically everything that somebody touched in Boston for weeks was just sticky. That just sounds horrible. According to journalist Edwards Park, some people reported that even decades after the cleanup was complete, Boston's North End still smelled of molasses. Investigations and accusations swirled all around the greater Boston area after the flood and the U.S. Industrial Alcohol Corporation, or the USIA, initially tried to blame the entire disaster on anarchists, saying that they had sabotaged the tank with some type of explosive, which may sound kind of crazy now, but in those days, that really wasn't entirely implausible. That was kind of a likely thing because anarchists were really known for doing that. And just in that past year leading up to the Great Molasses Flood, 40 explosions had been linked to the anarchists. So I guess that wasn't really too far out there. Maybe they weren't totally fabricating the story. They may have actually thought that's what happened themselves. 119 of the victims opened separate lawsuits against the USIA for damages in the disaster. Eventually though, these court cases all ended up being combined into one large lawsuit that drug on for years. At the end of this five-year court battle, it was ruled that anarchists weren't to blame, but that all of this was caused by shoddy construction methods. Officials determined that the disaster was in part caused by a supervisor who lacked the training to read blueprints during the tank's construction. Now, we know that they had that guy who was a financial advisor, and the financial advisor's job is to save a company money, and I mean, he did that, but the results of building something simply based on the cost was obviously catastrophic. The USIA had never hired certified engineers or architects to check the tank, and it was also determined that substandard construction materials had been used in the tank's construction, including steel that was just way too thin and improperly forged. It was determined that the steel used to make this tank was only about half as thick as it should have been, even by the less rigid standards of 1919. And in addition to all of that, the tests that had been done to see if the tank could hold the molasses were not only done with water, which is 40% less dense than molasses, but they had also only filled the tank up six inches. So they put six inches of water in this tank and then they were like, yep, that'll hold 2.5 million gallons of molasses. In the end, USIA was held liable and ordered to pay to the estates of the victims and to the city of Boston. Now, I read some articles that say if you convert this into today's money, that they paid about $8 million, while other articles said it was $15 million. So I'm thinking that maybe it was $15 million total, but eight went to the families. I don't know. There was some conflicting information on that. Either way, luckily, they were held at least somewhat responsible for this whole situation, though I'm sure that didn't really mean a whole lot to the people who lost family members there's no price you can put on that. So while there was never an official determination as to the cause of this whole accident beyond just labeling it faulty construction, tests have been done by scientists in more recent years. And the general consensus is that while this tank had already been in use for about three years prior to the incident, on this particular day, several variables came together to create the perfect molasses storm. A few days prior to the disaster, a new delivery of molasses had arrived from Puerto Rico and this molasses was 
warm because it was coming from an area with southern warm weather. Meanwhile, Boston had only been about two degrees for the days leading up to the shipment arriving. And so there was a bunch of molasses that was already sitting in this tank and it was completely frozen. So then they come along with this much warmer molasses and pour that into the tank. The temperature increase from pouring in the warmer molasses caused gas to expand inside the tank, which eventually led to its collapse. And in addition to all of that, like I said earlier, the temperature had been two degrees all week. Well, on the day that this shipment arrived, the temperature had gone up from two degrees to 40 degrees. This caused the warming molasses to thin out and expand even further, increasing the pressure within the tank. The closed tank had no way for gas and pressure to be safely released, and the resulting pressure that had built up in the tank was said to have been nearly the pressure of 850 sticks of dynamite. Now, another thing to consider is that once the tank did explode, the winter weather also contributed to making this disaster so much more deadlier than it would have been if this had happened like in the summer or something like that. Because as the warm molasses burst out of the tank, it hit the winter air and immediately began to cool, making it thicker and more difficult to escape from. If the tank had burst during the hotter summer months, the molasses would have been thinner. It would have run further and spread out more, so it wouldn't have been nearly as like high up on people. It also wouldn't have been as thick and sticky. And, you know, it's just a whole slew of things that were made so much worse because the molasses cooled so quickly. If you guys are more into this sciencey stuff, I have a really good video that goes over all of the science behind it. If you're really nerdy and you want to go check it out, I'll have that link below. The Great Boston Molasses Disaster serves as a reminder of the importance of proper engineering, safety regulations, and corporate responsibility in preventing tragedies like this from occurring again. The resulting court case led to a new level of accountability in the construction industry, and this case proved that the American legal system could hold businesses culpable for unsafe structures. And as a result, America's days of unregulated, large-scale construction and do-it-yourself engineering came to a permanent end. Today, few are aware of the flood or its significance, but if you ever visit Boston's North End, you'll find a small green commemorative plaque on the side of a building where the tank once stood. And some say, on warm days, you can still smell molasses. So what do you guys think about this one? I had actually never heard about this story until my husband's coworker actually suggested me doing it for the channel. This is just one of those stories that it seems almost too wild to be true, but it's also surprising that most of us have probably never heard about it. And it's just another reminder, if you work in construction and you're sick of all the seemingly stupid rules you have to follow, that somebody probably lost life or limb to create that rule for you. I hope you guys enjoyed today's video and I'll catch y'all right here for the next one. But as night fell, the molasses all over Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge. <laughs>